Welcome to the Strengthening a Palliative Approach in Long-Term Care Alliance podcast, exploring challenges and best practices in palliative care approaches for individuals in long-term care. Nick Petropoulos is a family doctor and the physician lead for Fraser Health's palliative approach to care in long-term care in British Columbia. He is passionate about doing family medicine the right way by listening to his patients' ideas, fears, and especially enjoys helping the elderly navigate the oftentimes confusing healthcare world we live in and ensuring that their final years are as comfortable as possible. Gita Refi is a clinical nurse specialist at Fraser Health in British Columbia and a clinical instructor at Vancouver Community College. She has extensive experience in several clinical settings, including acute care, assisted living, and long-term care. And she works with students, patients, families, and interdisciplinary teams to promote health and well-being for patients, as well as quality of life. Welcome to the podcast, Nick and Gita. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Thank you. I'd like to start by exploring a bit about your backgrounds in long-term care and your journey to working in palliative care. And, and Nick, I guess I'll start with you and ask you to tell me a little bit about how you became so involved in, in working with the elderly and working in long-term care and palliative care. Wow, that's a great question. To be honest, I think I was tricked into it by one of my mentors from residency. He asked me to have a meeting with him and, you know, I didn't know what he was going to talk about at this meeting and, you know, you're still a student and nervous about things. And he, he was surprised me by saying, Nick, I want you to work for me. And he was developing a new model for long-term care in Halifax at the time. And he sold me on it and I didn't have any clue what I was doing there. And it took me a long time to figure out what to do because, you know, seniors care is very intimidating. He invited me into that world and shepherded me through it you know, quite a bit. So that was my introduction to long-term care. And so, Gita, I wonder if you can tell me a little bit about your background in long-term care and and how you became involved in in palliative care and became interested. So, my journey working in long-term care started working as a care aide in 1996 when I was a new immigrant in Canada. My current role as a CNS in long-term care and assisted living started uh, in 2008, if I remember correctly, in Fraser Health. And my specialty is ger- gerontology because uh, working with older adults was always my passion and had this great privilege working with palliative approach to care with Nick since 2020. So I wonder if I can ask you both about what is that palliative approach? What are the components? What, how, how do we integrate that into long-term care? I think when you look at the big difference that people need to be educated on or to learn about really is that palliative care has always traditionally been thought about as those last hours, days, you know, time in hospice, you know, there's nothing left to do. And what really struck me on my journey was was hearing the research um, about how people that have a life-limiting illness, when they're offered palliative care, quote-unquote, the broader perspective, which we now call palliative approach to care, when they're offered this much upstream, they have they have interestingly enough not only better quality of life, better symptom control. There's um, better outcomes for both their mental health and their family's mental health. So it, it's striking to say that that this change in my own mind when I saw this and applied it to my own patients. And so then you say, well, what is palliative approach? This you know 
big empty term. And it really comes down to a few core things. And one of the most important is uh, the early identification of somebody who has a life-limiting illness. And then after you identify them, then you have a conversation with them early on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so practitioners across the board are nervous about, you know, having that tough talk. I don't want to, you know, turn a, you know, turn this into a sad conversation. We can have that later. But as I said, the research shows that having that conversation and then providing the support that comes with the conversation um, really has tremendous benefits for our patients. So that's, that's the number two pillar of palliative approach to care is the early conversations and sharing the prognosis. And then that turns into hearing their goals and wishes. The third pillar of a palliative approach to care is continuing to have impeccable symptom control, um, both assessing not only physical symptoms, but emotional and psychosocial. When I've taken the time to do those things, what, what tremendous benefits we have to our patients, um, especially in long-term care, because essentially everybody that walks through the doors of a long-term care has a life-limiting illness. We know that. So yeah. everybody who walks through is going to benefit from it. So we want to ingrain palliative approach to care into the culture, into the, every fiber of everything we do in long-term care, because it, it's so valuable to them. Curates are the ones who are spending all their time with their residents, and that's why we are investing on their on our curates. We are including them in our education sessions. We create tools and resources for them uh, because we truly believe curates are part of a team, and they are so important for uh, palliative approach to care implementation. Gita, I never knew that you started as a care aide. I've been working with you for so long, and I think what I can see now, the perspective that you bring in your role of, of educator and specialist, you always are speaking about having the full team being part of it. It's not just you know people at the top. We made a conscious decision to include care aides in our training. They spend the most time one-on-one with the resident in their life journey. They're the ones that see them in their most vulnerable times, and so we... We gave education specifically to care aides so that they could feel empowered to share things that they noticed. And so when we meet with our teams and we share with our teams, we, we first off, you know, we give them the basic training that we spoke about the pillars. But then we say it's okay for everybody to speak up on this. We want you all to be included. This is not a physician thing. This is not a charge nurse thing. This is not an RN thing. This is an everybody thing. If you see something, share it. So as soon as somebody's recognized as potentially being the final hours and days, the team comes together, meets with the family and the resident if they can, you know, participate, and the physician, and they say, let's be all on the same page. We believe fully that it's a team approach here. I've heard from Karen's who have said to me, you know, that um, they often have very intimate conversations with the residents because they, they do care for them in so many intimate ways and, and they, they end up, you know, really having a relationship with them. Um, but the other side of that that I've heard is that sometimes carrots feel like, um, is it my job to do this? Am I, you know, do I have the skills to do this? For the carrots, it's, um, Number one, giving them permission to lean into the conversation because they're the ones that gave us feedback that that residents were having intimate conversations with them. 
So at one of our sites, we broke the serious illness conversation into different parts. And we identified you know, parts of it, especially earlier in the conversation flow, that an LPN can totally be skilled at doing. Uh, we did a quality improvement project at my care home about this, and we tested it for a while. And we asked the questions about what's your understanding of the illness? Do you have any previously expressed wishes? You know, what are your thoughts? And I remember, you know, Nurse Marie, like we had a form we made, and so she filled it out and she left it in my doctor's book. And I opened up my doctor's book one day and I saw these detailed answers that she had gotten from the patient's family. And it just blew my mind that that we we can have the whole team participate. And the trust was there because Marie had been this person's nurse for so long. And the family was very comfortable in sharing, you know, what they felt was going on and things. And she just read questions from a script. It wasn't that she needed to, you know, you know, have intimate knowledge about this person's medical diseases to the level a physician would or anybody else would. But she just blew my mind on what we could do. And if we can share the work, it becomes more efficient. And also, I think when families and residents have multiple team members share the same message, then it's something that they can buy into and understand better long-term. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about the Serious Illness Conversation Guide and what it is. And maybe, Nick, I'll start with you. The Serious Illness Conversation Guide is the most valuable tool that I have in my tool belt as a family doctor. It's the thing that I've seen so many lives change for the better because I've, I've been able to do that both in my practice in the community and in long-term care. So the tool is a step-by-step approach to have a conversation with someone or their loved ones about a serious illness. And what's beautiful about it is it, it's been researched. And so they have made the questions go from one section to the next. And so it really does go naturally. And I do training all the time on this with uh, the UBC School of Medicine and People, when they're first doing it, go, oh, I'm going to sound like a robot. I'm not going to do this right. It's going to sound so artificial. And every time when they finish their first one, I ask them, how did it feel? And I ask the person they did it to. And everybody says, it was natural already. So it's a wonderful tool. And I think people need to understand at the high level what is the actual tool then. So the first one is understanding what the person already has for an understanding about, you know, what their disease is, what their health is, what the future holds. The second bit is sharing prognosis. That's where us as clinicians, and I say clinicians because it doesn't have to be just a physician. And this is where you you help the person who maybe didn't understand they had a life-limiting illness be grounded in the reality of the day. And again, the tool is excellent because it gives you some very holistic and empathetic phrases to use. So you, again, you don't have to come up with things you know on your own. You have something that's been research tested and patient appropriate. So then once you share the prognosis, then you ask a series of questions about their goals and wishes to understand them better. So now they understand the truth better, and then they can give their answers about goals and fears and wishes more accurately because they now have an understanding what the future holds. So it's just a wonderful tool to use and it's been so important in my practice. I agree with Nick 100%. The guide is very user-friendly, very straightforward. So it's making our life easier hey, in long-term care and yes. acute care, in, you know, in healthcare. 
it kind of facilitate the advanced care planning conversation for us. And of course, the end result of all these great tools is uh, establishing uh, medical orders or update the medical orders. This now puts it in a way that that patients and families understand much better what is the give and the take. And the beauty is I no longer have to feel guilty about sort of making a decision or taking something off the table. I can tell them I'm the expert in the medicine. You're the expert in your wishes in your life. And let's meet in the middle with these things. So let's say, can can my prognosis actually match your goals and then come up with a solution that, that marries those two things at the end? And that's, I think, what Gita was mentioning about sort of the, the workflow that we have to have as, an, have as an output as healthcare providers. We have to have something that's, you know, put on paper, it's written down, it's shared with our colleagues. And that's the beauty of this, this guide. It, it takes us through and it achieves so many things. I did a, a tiny research project on feelings of families after having this conversation. They really all felt something positive inside to say, I'm so glad we talked about this and I learned about it and I'm leaving here today knowledgeable and knowing that there's a plan for my loved one because they really do fear this abyss of knowledge and what's going to happen when they're there. So moving forward, what do you think we need to really focus on to really strengthen that palliative approach to care and long-term care? I think it's still pushing forward that this needs to be ingrained in every fiber of long-term care. Gita said it earlier, We, when we have any initiative, any project, we want to bring up and put on the table, does this align with palliative approach to care? And so we have to keep our foot on the gas pedal of, of keeping it on the agenda. I think people do finally know the term and some of the understanding about it in general, but we still have to keep on working at the site levels with each of our care homes. How are you ingraining it specifically into those policies and workflows? Again, like Gita talked about, are essential to the day-to-day work. And the other thing that Nick and I always think about and talk about is uh, data. Hey, how we can uh, have automatic data. And the other thing the other day that Nick and I were dreaming about was regulation even. What if palliative approach to care was required by licensing and regulation? So our life would be much easier. So Nick <laughs> and I wouldn't have to, to sell this great philosophy. Hey, so we have so many opportunities for improvement at system level. Wouldn't it just be fabulous if licensing yeah. could do it? Because that's ultimately where the leadership of a care home focuses. If we could get licensing on board to say, you must do this. Show us how you're doing it. Because ultimately, it, it produces everything that is going to be valuable for a resident. It honors their life and their journey. Absolutely. And I am surprised why now, why it is not included into the licensing requirement. Because licensing requirement is based on evidence-based practice. Well, it sounds like you're ready to keep challenging the system and bringing this approach to become a natural part of care. I would say for other health authorities that aren't at the stage of change that we are, um, what was beautiful from Fraser Health was our top leadership identified that this was important, and they gave room and space for both a physician and a clinical nurse specialist to take this on. It it takes a, a good amount of time to, to, to do this, and so without the leadership giving um, permission 
and finding time for it. You can't get this off the ground. So I would say to people listening that are in other health authorities that want to start it off, your executive directors need to support this um, and take it serious, and, and it will flow from there. Thank you both so much for speaking with me today. You've been listening to the Strengthening a Palliative Approach in Long-Term Care podcast. For more information about our project, visit spa-ltc.ca.